This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs. Listen live or support by visiting WCWP.org. This is Review and Preview on WCWPSports.org. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo, who's back this week. James Montefusco joins me again to my left-hand side. Kyle, great to have you back on the show. Absolutely, Tom. And Kyle will actually be engineering the show for the first time tonight. And a quick reminder, you can call in with your questions, thoughts, comments at our call-in number, 516-299-2030. And we are podcasting on Pinecast, Apple Podcast slash iTunes, Google Play, and Pocket Cast. Our phone lines will be open around 5.20 p.m. All right, guys, what's breaking? What's hot in baseball? Well, monkey see, monkey do for Wellington Castillo. Uh, the White Sox catcher has been suspended 80 games like Robinson Cano was last week after testing positive for performance-enhancing substance, EPO. And the White Sox actually stated that they are supporting Major League Baseball's policy to eliminate these performance-enhancing drugs. Well, if you didn't learn from Robinson Cano last week, uh, Wellington Castillo, I hate to say it, but um, not too smart. And not good for baseball, not good for the White Sox especially. But as Kyle brought up a couple of minutes before we went live, it's not like the White Sox are going anywhere this year. Yeah. It, listen, when these guy, when you see these guys take these PEDs, what does it usually mean? At that point, they really don't care if they get caught. They, it's all about right. the money for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wellington Castillo signed a two-year, $15 million deal with the Chicago White Sox. So, you know, in his career, he doesn't necessarily care about the stats, the rankings of where he stands as a catcher in the MLB. It's all about the money. Yeah. And that's why he continues and took these PEDs. Pretty much. Uh, James, I don't know what your thoughts are, but uh, we spoke about Cano last week. Yes, we did. This is basically the MLB taking one step forward, two steps back. Uh, but just got to move on. Yeah, uh, Castillo should have learned from Cano's suspension and I mean, even if he was taking these performance-enhancing drugs, he should have kind of been like, you know, I'm following Robinson Cano on this. I have used performance-enhancing drugs. Right. I just want to put that out there. I understand the suspension I'm going to get, and let's move on kind of thing. Um, So, I mean, kind of dumb on his part, but, you know, if the players want to use it and spend 80 games on the sidelines... And, you know, he's 31, so I don't know how much of He's a veteran. Yeah. He should know better. He really should. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Uh, Quick reminder, folks, we are on Facebook Live tonight, so you can catch us. If you are friends with me or James on Facebook, you can watch our show. And next up is the Atlanta Braves releasing Jose Bautista on Sunday. Braves are still in first place, 29-19 record in the NL East. And the Mets sign him just under 48 hours later. Jose Bautista, the former home run champion for the Toronto Blue Jays, a beast behind the plate for several years, especially back in the early 2010s. But Bautista starts Tuesday in Florida and joins the Mets Tuesday night to play the Miami Marlins. He started the game, and realistically, 
this would have been a good move if it happened five years ago. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't make sense for me uh, as a viewer of baseball, no. just considering why are you trying to get old? He's 37 years old, just like you said, Tom. This is not the Jose Bautista that we saw five years ago. Yeah. And plus, he was released by the Braves because he was batting way under 200. He was batting like a 150. 143, I believe, is the exact number. 143. He had five hits all year. Why? Exactly. That's an excellent word to describe this move. I mean, maybe Why? he gives you maybe he gives you depth. You're already at the outfield old position and bad. You're already an old team and a bad team. Why add to it? You look at the roster, top to bottom. You have Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Bautista. Five years ago, these two guys on the same team would have been incredible. Yep. Um, especially with a healthy David Wright, add that to the mix. And my thing is this: the only reason that the Mets made this move is because they were desperate. They were desperate because Cespedes is already hurt on the 10-day DL. Ligaris placed on the 10-day DL, who's likely missing the remainder of the season. Ligaris, an excellent bat off the bench, and you go out and sign Jose Bautista. I'd rather trust the... uh, I'd rather have somebody get called up from the farm system rather than Bautista get signed. I mean, yeah, he had a double to lead off the second inning, but... As you were saying, James, uh, we were talking a couple nights ago. He was striking out like there was no tomorrow. It was. It was embarrassing to watch. Yeah. Very, very embarrassing uh, for, for the Mets, who we will get to in our second segment of the show. Can't wait to touch upon those <laughs> good old Metropolitans. Hashtag not really. Um, some good news, though. Uh, you want to talk about players, old players. Old, there's a difference between old and bad and old and good. However, this week has not been the best for him as he got lit up by the Yankees the other night. But Bartolo Colon turns 45 today. Happy birthday, Bart. And, you know, quite frankly, despite getting lit up by the Yankees on, uh, I think it was Monday night they played, he's looked pretty good this season. Um, He had a gem to start before. Look, Colon is a hit-or-miss guy, but he's winning double-digit games consistently well into his 40s now. He's the oldest player in the MLB. Yep. Uh, the only guy even close is Ichiro, who turns 45 in October. And he's retired. And he's done. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, Bartol Colon has always been a good pitcher in this league. I mean, obviously, 45 years old, he's not going to give you the strikeout numbers that you'd like to see out of a starting pitcher, but right. he'll give you the innings. He will oh, give absolutely. you the innings. And he's he a very consistent pitcher. Very good pitcher. Maybe a little shaky, but listen, at 45 yeah. years old, <laughs> if you could get that, time, uh, that type of performance out of him, I'd love to have that on my team. I sure would, too. Uh, The Texas Rangers not having the best season, but um, they took the series from the Yankees, which we will talk about later on in our show in the third segment. However, gearing off from the Rangers, let's talk about the Boston Red Sox, who are back in first place. The best record in the major leagues, 34-15. and After losing first place to the Yankees, climbing back, Mookie Betts leading the MLB in nearly every hitting statistic category, a 365 batting average, 16 home runs, a 330, 335 average for J.D. Martinez as well. And J.D. Martinez was signed late yep. in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And to have this chemistry with a guy like Mookie Betts, who is really a rising star in this league for the last year or two, it's been incredible what a uh, J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts together are as a unit, have been able to do. You look at Martinez's stats, 335 average. That ranks third in the American League. 
15 home runs, 41 RBIs. That's second in the AL. Betts and Martinez together, it's been a phenomenal combination. And don't forget, you still have guys like Hanley Ramirez. You know, you have a deep team, and you have excellent pitching as well. Uh, Joe Kelly got uh, improved to 3-0 yesterday yeah. on the season. Look at Rick Porcello, CY Young candidate early on for the AL. 6-1 and one record. And um, as Met fans like to call him little man because he does not pitch well in City Field, Craig Kimbrell, the former Atlanta Brave. <laughs> 15 saves. That ranks second all across the American League. Kyle, what's your pitch on these Boston Red Sox? These Boston Red Sox are everything that we expected. We knew that they had a dominant offensive team. They had the depth in Andrew Benintendi. Uh, they have bats. They have the addition of J.D. Martinez, which alone will give you a consistent batting average and a ton of home runs. And Mookie Betts, yeah. Mookie Betts has really emerged as a not just a star but a superstar. He has. He is absolutely – and I know there's obviously players around in the Red Sox organization who have consistent and high batting averages. But Mookie Betts, it's like every time you turn on a Red Sox game, this guy is absolutely smashing the ball. Yeah. He, he just – he's slaying the game. Pitchers cannot seem to pitch around him and strike him out. And he's doing it on a consistent basis against good teams. Do you think he's the best hitter in the league? I think he might All be the most hitter. I think he might be the most consistent hitter. I don't know about the best, but the most consistent. This guy is a leadoff hitter who plays right field. Yep. He stands at 5 feet 9 inches tall, 25 years old. Wow. This guy has one heck of a bat. And he's made plays in the field as well, yep. you know, um, especially for a right fielder. And you're looking last night and the night before, uh, back on Tuesday, he had he went two for four and he had those three RBIs, which was incredible. Yesterday, he didn't get any hits, but he still found his way on base. He had two walks in the game against the Rays, where the Sox won uh, four to one. So maybe it's that... Uh, Nashville background, <laughs> growing up in Nashville, Tennessee. They're pretty wild down there, I've heard. Um, but, yeah. And talk about Porcello. He's been great. Yeah, he's really redeeming himself, you know. After winning the Cy Young, after having a 20 in, I believe, two season, two yeah. years back, he had a terrible season last season. He's really redeeming himself, showing what he's capable of and really showing us why he won that Cy Young Award yeah. two years ago. And um, Craig Kimbrell as well. Credit to him. Um, you know, he struggled against the Yankees too. But Craig Kimbrell is one of the – I hate to say it. I know he's still somewhat young, but you got to think he's one of the best closers in the game. He was probably the best closer in the game, one of the best of all time. Yep, maybe. I mean, as of right now, he leads uh, the AL. If he doesn't lead the AL, he's second in the AL with 15 saves right now. Yep. So he's definitely a dominant – reliever for the Red Sox, definitely a dominant reliever in all of baseball. Maybe yeah. not the best, but he's definitely a dominant one. Don't forget, at 29 years old, he's the youngest pitcher in history to record 30 saves on the major league level, and the guy's a six-time All-Star. At 29 years old, that's pretty darn impressive, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people forget, they think of the Braves, they think of the Red Sox. He spent one season with the miserable San Diego Padres. A lot of people forget. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Two-time reliever of the year, National League Rookie of the Year back in 2011. 2011. I was still in high school. And National that's... League Rookie of the Year as a reliever is... Yeah. You have to be pretty dominant to win that as a reliever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
and he also pitched the immaculate inning on May 11, 2017. And basically what that is, you guys know what the immaculate inning is? Yeah. When a pitcher throws nine pitches, each of which is a strike, and thus strikes out three straight batters. Oh. Yep. The immaculate inning. That's pretty uh, pretty good to have on your resume. 85 different baseball players have accomplished that feat. Pretty incredible. Now, I want to talk about the AL Central for a minute. What's going on? The team in first place is just one game over 500, and that's the Cleveland Indians. What is going on in this di- in this division right now? I think, it, like you said, Dom, it's all over the place right now. I mean, teams are like neck the and NL neck. West. Teams are neck and neck where they could, at any point, if one team loses one game, somebody behind them can move up. It's all close. I know it's very close. And, and the Cleveland Indians are really underperforming. And, you know, it's it comes down to the fact that, you know, they haven't had Andrew Miller, who's one of the top relievers in all of baseball. Yeah. He really, really, watching some of these Indians games in the past, really they could have used him. Yeah. They really could have used him. And that's definitely hurt them. Mm-hmm. You know, because the bats are there, the fielding is there, and Francisco Lindor, and the, and the pitching is there. It just all comes down to closing out the game, and they're really missing Andrew Miller right now. And I think the issue is, too, you have divisions like with how well the Yankees and Red Sox have fared out. The AL West has been pretty dominant this year. Houston, and surprisingly, Seattle and uh, L.A. Yep have really not just played well, but they've played pretty darn well. And another thing, too, that I've got to say is in the National League side, we talked about how inconsistent the NL West is. The Diamondbacks falling back to reality hard. They have lost nine of their last ten. They are one game over five hundred. They got swept by the New York Mets. The New York Mets. That's never good. That is never good. How do you get swept by the New York Mets? I, I'm sorry, James, but... Understandable. How do you get swept by the Mets? Um, and then one other thing, too, the Milwaukee Brewers. Are they the juggernaut of this National League right now? I believe that they can be. I mean, you know, the additions of Christian Yelich and and Kane, Lorenzo Kane, they could really be dominant... They could really be a dominant team. And you know yeah. what Eric Thames brings to the table. Oh, yeah. You know, they have a solid relieving core. They have a solid pitching core. They could they could be a dominant team. And, you know, the Cubs, another team, we're talking about underperforming. They really, with the roster that they have, should be a lot better than they are. And, and it's really it, it, not a nice thing to see, but it's nice to see, you know, the closeness in yeah. the division where it's competitive, where any night yeah. some team could take over right. the division. So I like the competition in that. Can I add on something uh, with Milwaukee? Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the replay that was kind of all over. I saw it on Sports Center this morning, where the um, I believe it was a ball that was called a strike, or it was the other way around. Um, so, I mean, they're all they they all want a win. Even I mean, the coach got thrown out that game, but still, it's a it's a team. And the coach is what young, yeah. I want to say, so it. I mean, if that team continues to play with the way that it's playing, maybe they'll uh, they'll go far. Yeah, agreed. Yep. And one last thing on Milwaukee here before we step aside for our first break of the night. Um, they've played two series against the struggling Diamondbacks over the last two weeks, and they've given the Diamondbacks five of their losses. Hmm. So. Just keep that in the back of your head as well, to win five out of six against the Diamondbacks. Look, I understand they're without A.J. Pollock. You can't count them out. Corbin's been incredible this year. But somebody's got to pick up the slack when he's gone. I mean, 
I was actually at the Mets game last Friday night. You look up to down, the the order top to bottom is just not good. It's not good. No, mm-hmm. Nobody's hitting near 300 yep. right now. Mm-hmm. It's pretty pathetic. I mean, look, I understand Goldschmidt is not really you know a consistent hitter. He's more of a power guy, but the guy's barely hitting over 200. So that's not the recipe to success. Yep. If well, you're Arizona. If you look back to last season, you know, when they made the trade at the deadline, who did they acquire? J.D. Martinez. Right. And what do you do? He hit 30-plus home runs. Exactly. In half a season with Arizona. So that really carried them. They won. The, they went on to go to the wild card game. They won the wild card game. And, you know, that's really, that's really showing the absence of J.D. Martinez in that lineup. And now Colorado is leading the division. So it'll be yes. interesting to see how that unfolds moving forward. That'll wrap up our segment on Major League Baseball news when we come back. Get ready for some rants, folks. The New York Mets, back to reality they are. Find out what we think when we come back. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside James Montefusco, Kyle Russo. Wow, that rhymes. I'm, I'm, the, odd, I'm the odd one out. I don't have that last name Oh. <laughs> uh, quick shout out happy birthday to my cousin Eric um, excuse me happy graduation not happy birthday wow I'm losing my marbles today here in the studio uh, my cousin from Phoenix graduating from Desert Vista High School the same high school attended by former Giants starting linebacker Devon Kennard a little, little fun factoid for you there um, reminder folks you can call in with your questions thoughts comments 516-299-2030 is the number our phone lines are now open and we are on facebook live as well you can see me and james right there in front of the camera kyle is behind the board and let's get to those mets do we have to unfortunately yes i'd love to skip over this segment but we gotta stand to it uh kyle the Mets are 13-20 and 20 now since their 11-1 start. Now, I think we all knew the 11-1 and 1 record wouldn't last. There was no way they were winning 161 games. No question. We wish, though. Right. But to lose two out of three to the Marlins, the Miami Marlins, who beat the Mets 2-1 to one last night. And I've got a lot to say about this game. The Grom gives you seven shutout innings. Mm-hmm. The guy has the lowest ERA in the National League, 1.54, and you give him one run, which was based off of one pitch, a crack off of the bat of Brandon Nimmo. Come on. That's why this team is going nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Yep, Tom, they're just, there's no other way to say it, but they're just, God awful. There it really is. And you know, when they had that eleven and one start, you could really see the dependence on the bullpen, which is really killing them right now because those bullpen guys are getting hurt. Why? Because they were so dependent on them to close out games early yeah. in the season. Mm-hmm. Robles, so now it's who kinda, looks good is on the DL now. Yep. It's showing. And you it know Swarzak is still on the DL. You don't know when yeah. he's coming back. Hopefully soon for the Mets case. Yeah. But yeah. It's just and the hitting Bad. the hitting too. Awful. What is awful. Yeah, there is no hitting. You know? All right. Top to bottom in this series, the Mets scored two runs in the first game. They won that. Game two. 
on Tuesday night. You're telling me the only run you can produce is off a sacrifice fly from Tomas Nito, the backup AAA catcher that you promoted? It's embarrassing. It really is. It's, it's pathetic. There's no other way to say it, but it, they're embarrassing. They really are. I mean, they're old and they're bad and they just got even older with the signing of Bautista. And it really, for me, because I'm not a Mets fan, but just to get your guys' opinion on it, just what does it say about the dysfunction of the Mets organization to hire a 37-year-old uh, outfielder that does not bat above 200, way below 200, instead of calling up, like you said, Tom, early in the show, one of these younger guys to just give him a chance? Because at this point in the season, hopefully they could turn around, but it doesn't look they're like they're going anywhere. Alonso they're going anywhere. Alonso should have been called up. Yes. Yep. Come on. I don't get it. Um, the managerial moves just make my head shake because I'm looking at the comments on the Instagram post when the Mets signed Bautista. Why? What are you thinking? It just goes to show how awful this front office is. But back to the series for a second. Go ahead. Last night, DeGrom gives you seven shutout innings, eight strikeouts. The bullpen comes in and blows it. J. Roos Familia already has four blown saves, and it's not even Memorial Day. That's terrible. It honestly is. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's laughable. There's no other way to put it. There really isn't. I mean, when you when we talk about this Mets team, we can only get disgusted as we get more and more into it because there's really there's no bright spot on this team. There's not one bright, not even a Med Rosario who looked good going into the end of last season. He's their second best hitter on the team right he's now. He's awful. Yeah. He's awful. Every time he gets up a bat, you know he finally cracked a couple home runs this week. Not really a power guy, but oh man. The, and then with DeGrom giving you seven strong innings, eight Ks, like, hello, bats, at least get him another run. You right. know what's coming My in, thing in is the ninth. This, and you know this too. The Yankees are knocking on the door for a veteran pitcher to come in. And oh, yeah. they seriously need one. And if the Mets don't start to pick up the slack, the Grom may be gone did you come see? mid-July. You saw the, the newspaper, right? Yeah. Just you saw the newspaper where they I had? Did. Unfortunately, I did. And, uh, you know, I was about to throw up my breakfast as I, <laughs> as I was reading it. But uh, on, online, I should say, not the actual hard copy. Yep. But, yeah, that made me sick to my stomach reading that. The Grom should be 7-0. and He should be. 4-0. 4-0. He should be 7-0. Well, if you look, they should have won last night. So that's five and zero. Blow the lead. Then you got what? What was it? He had two uh, undecided games for him or something. Yeah, two no decisions. Yeah. And by the way, he looked incredible on Friday night when I was at that game. He looked awesome. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. really did. And this yep. was against a Diamondbacks team, a first place team at the time that was on the decline. But still, you sweep the Diamondbacks and then you lose two out of three to the Marlins. They're punting the season. Derek Jeter has made it clear they're trying to lose games. Yep. Oh, yeah, clearly. And clearly. I, wasn't, I wasn't on the show last week when this first came out in the newspaper about DeGrom and Syndergaard. You know, when it was on the back of the cover of the newspaper, in uh, when they were in pinstripes, Yankees uniforms. So I don't think Sandy Alderson would ever, would ever do that. I don't think the Will Ponds would ever allow him to do that. But I think it could definitely happen with another team. 
for the right price. For the for listen, they have the worst farm system in the league. They've had for the last five plus years. It, it doesn't get worse than the Mets farm system because they have nobody. I mean, look, this just proves it. Signing a thirty-seven-year-old outfielder who can't hit the ball instead of bringing up one of your young bloods. It doesn't make sense. And signing Gonzo, an old guy, look, at the price they got him, it actually wasn't the worst move. It wasn't yep. the best move, but he's actually been producing. Yes. And there's another player, too, that's just been awful. You talk about the pinch running with Jose Reyes. Oh, my. I don't even Like, I get it. That's the, the right move to put him in, but JT Real Muto, who already threw him out, I believe, right, earlier in I the game? I believe so. By the way, Real Muto had one of the RBI singles in the ninth inning last night. Him and then Starling Castro off of off of uh, Jay Roos Familia. The two really veteran guys on that team. Exactly. And my thing is this. Seth Lugo pitched the eighth inning. Why not just leave him in? He's killing left-handed batters. He's setting records against lefties. Lefties are hitting 067 against Seth Lugo. I keep him in until he starts struggling. I think, as crazy as this sounds, to make a message, the only way the Mets are going to get better, and if is going to get better and wake up, the next time the Mets are in a save situation, put in Seth Lugo. Put in Robert Giselman. Giselman had his first save. Jerry Blevins. Those are the only Blevins I'm iffy about, but he's pretty decent. Lugo and Giselman are the only two players in that bullpen I fully trust. Yes. Blevins is more of a situational guy that I like to see him get the lefties out. But this is just awful. You know what it is, Tom? And it, it's as simple as this. The Mets are just stupid. They just really are. They have an old guy running the ship, and they're staring him into a wall. Yeah. I mean, look, every every person on the team is old. They don't spend money the They right don't way? spend money. I mean, when we were talking up on the show before April had started— we're giving the Mets credit because, you know, some of the signings that they had done looked pretty good. And you know what? Every single one of them has failed. And what nobody's talking about is the Jay Bruce well, signing. not Todd Frazier. Not Todd Frazier. Not yet. I get The guy, listen, when he finished off with he's, the Yankees last a, season, a he could not hit the ball. He's, he's, he's a veteran, and he's the slim chance of hope yeah. when yeah. he comes back yeah. along with Cespedes. And Plo- Ploiecki as well, who had a fantastic start to the season. Yeah, but Jay Bruce. Bruce, he is... He's, he's god-awful. Don't even get me started. He's I look God at the awful. lineup top to bottom every night. I'm supposed to get excited about Michael Conforto and Jay Bruce, the two stars Whoa. of the team? Look, Conforto had a 4-4 game Friday night, and I'm pretty sure he's gotten maybe, what, one hit since? Maybe. One to two hits since? Yeah. How many home he's runs so does he have right down. now? How many home runs does he have right now? Two, maybe? Not as... Tom, can I read you the lineup that came out uh, 10 minutes ago? All right, so for tonight, Cover Mets, your ears, folks. You got Nimmo in left field, Cabrera at second, Flores is the, as at third, Bruce right field, Conforto center, Messeraco the catcher, Gonzalez first, Matz is pitching tonight, and Rosario. Do you get excited over that lineup? I mean, it's not the worst lineup they've put out. It's not a bad lineup. No. Do I, do I get excited about it? No. No. I don't think anybody goes. All right. Another thing, too. You brought up how Wilmer Flores is hitting third. The Mets fans were almost expecting him to win the game in the ninth inning. Let's go back to the ninth inning for a minute. Brad Ziegler is on the mound. I repeat, Brad Ziegler. The Miami Marlins have pitchers combined with an ERA over five. Before we get to Ziegler, actually... Starter Dan Straley, six innings of one-run ball? Really? 
that's the best you can do, Mets? Dan Straley. Doesn't he have a five-point-something ERA? This guy is 29, 30 years old. Kyle, you haven't you ever even heard of Dan Straley before right now? Nope. One run off of one pitch, the Nimmo bomb. All right, the ninth inning comes. They made Brad Ziegler, who lifetime has an ERA over six, especially this year, also with an ERA over six. A below-average closer, 38 years old. Soft-tossing righty. Send the Mets down quietly. They made Brad Ziegler look like an all-star. Awful. Terrible. Now, I must admit, there's not much to get excited about. Mesoraco, Gonzalez, Flores, and there was somebody hitting in between. I don't remember who that was. I know Cabrera. No, the inning started with Mesoraco. Okay, I Mes- I watched that end of the Gonzalez, game. Gonzalez, who rakes Ziegler, got on with a hit, six for eight lifetime against Ziegler, and then they pinch run with Jose Reyes, which ideally it makes sense in the situation. And then the next guy came up, I forget who it was, and I think it was Luis Guillorme, hit a ground ball to third. Reyes slid in safely at second, and then they throw Guillorme out. And then Flores comes up, two outs, Reyes on second. They're expecting Wilmer Flores to win the game. Like, I understand he has great success pinch hitting. He had that home run, the sacrifice fly on Saturday night to but win the Mets the game. Every night. But you can't rely on Wilmer Flores. <sighs> Man. Man. They made Brad Ziegler look so good. The Mets combined for four runs all series against the Miami Marlins, a minor league team. Essentially, virtually. You know what it is? It's just they put all the money into the pitching. That's what they did. They put what all pitching? the money. What pitching? What pitching? You got DeGrom and Syndergaard. That's it, though. Matt That's Harvey it. won a game for the Reds this week, by the way. Good I, for him. Who, who, who quoted, I thought there would be a chance that I'd never see a win in this league again. Yep. When he was with the Mets. And you know what? Good for him. Because dark you know what? It really, for dark night. It really, yeah. I, know, I know a lot of Mets fans. And, you know, they all point the finger at Matt, Har- uh, Matt Harvey and say he was the problem. And no doubt he was definitely a pl- uh, problem in that locker room. But now you look, nothing hearing about in the Reds, and he's playing pretty decent. And the Mets are probably more dysfunctional than, than the, that they've ever been, even when, the, even when they had Harvey. And it's just, it's like, who do you, you got rid of Harvey. Who do you point the finger at now? Vargas. Whose fault, just been whose fault is it? He's he, been god awful. He's been awful. He had one decent start yeah. the other night, but... Other than that, he's been pathetic. Yep. Um, Mats, don't even get me started with Mats. We'll get to him in just a couple of moments. And he's pitching tonight, no less. So. And then Zach Wheeler. Ugh. Can we put? Can we switch like Lugo in for Zach Wheeler for a game? Would that be all right if we did that? You know, if we called up the Will. Why Pons? not give Giselman a start? Why not give Lugo a start? Clearly, they've earned it. I don't know what Mickey Calloway sees right now. Look, throw Rothschild on the Mets, for example, as their pitching coach. I'm sure Lugo or Giselman would be starting by now. Yep. Absolutely. And it really makes you wonder, as a Mets fan, just considering the fact that, you know, they brought in Mickey Calloway as a pitching coach. Right. With the Indians. And the Indians, I mean, you've seen their pitching. They have phenomenal pitching. All out, relieving and starting. So it really makes you wonder, you know, it really can't get much worse for the Mets right now in this situation, so why not just give them the start? The Mets just can't hit. They're under 500 at home. 
They're 24 and 21. Now, at the beginning of the season, if you said the Mets would be 24 and 21 by this point, you'd say, okay. But if you've watched the whole season unfold, now you're looking at it as if, like, this is really bad. This is, yeah. this is really bad because now, starting tonight, 25 of your next 27 games are against winning teams, 18 of them on the road. 18 games against winning teams on the road. The Mets may be at a playoff contention by then if this keeps up. Yep. With how good the division has been this year with three young, proven teams in the Braves, Phillies, and Nationals. Mm-hmm. They just don't look – if you watch a Mets game, they just don't look like they're there mentally. They just, they, they just is the only guy that can hit. He's the only guy, the only guy. that can hit. And even and he's him, starting he's, to cool off. he's cooling well, off right now. Can you expect Cabrera to hit 320 the entire season? No. Come no. on. Really? Cabrera going into the season was probably one of your most concerning bats of all, and now he's your best bat. They've never needed Cespedes or Frazier back this bad. Oh, they need Cespedes or And bad. quite frankly, I don't even know if that will help no. full-heartedly. I mean, think about it like this. Think about it the Mets go all in and just say, you know what, we're done. What can the Mets possibly get for Cespedes at this point? I mean, look at the contract that they gave him, and look at the performance. It is nothing. I wouldn't even do that. I would go after the two aces. DeGrom and Syndergaard. Unfortunately, as a Met fan to say, but the biggest value is probably them two, especially DeGrom. You know, and one other thing. The Mets, four games tonight, not four games tonight, but four games this weekend, mm-hmm. against the National League best Milwaukee Brewers. You just lose two out of three to the trashed Marlins, and now you go in four-game series against the best team in the National League. Quite frankly, would not be surprised if we got swept. Yep. If I'm Milwaukee, I got I, I get the brooms out. Oh yeah. Tonight. And they're thirty one and nineteen. The series is at Milwaukee. Stephen Matz will be on the mound tonight. Long Island native Stephen Matz. One and three, four point four two earned run average. Where He's had eight starts, only one win. His lone win was against the Brewers at City Field, the game I happened to be at, uh, the first Friday home game of the season. And in eight tries, Matz has had one quality start. Steven Matz has made four outs, just four outs, past the fifth inning this season. It's terrible. Digest that for a minute. How can you? Salvage that in. To your brain. It's terrible. In all combined starts. Eight starts, you have four outs just past the fifth inning. This guy started off the season 7-1 and one just a year or two ago. Yep. It's terrible because what, what are you blaming on at this point? Because, you know, your, your manager is a pitching coach who had excellent success with the Indians. You know, you're youthful. You're not injured. So what's the problem? Is it a mental thing? I don't know. Like, what's the problem with but, this guy? If I'm Zach Davies for Milwaukee, when I head to that mound, I'm looking forward to tonight as he brings in his 2-3 and three record, 4.24 ERA into tonight. All right, any final thoughts? I'm nearly out of breath on this one. Uh, yeah. What do you say? I mean, we've used the word disgusting, terrible, awful, awful. so I, many times. I, I think we've ran out the, the thesaurus. Yep. There's nothing else to say. There's there really nothing, is nothing left else in the dictionary say. for us to say negative about the Mets right now. I mean, there is, but we probably can't say it on right. air. Yeah. So, yeah. you yeah. know, but... <laughs> trying not to lose my job yep. here. Nope, not <laughs> I mean, trying to make you lose your job, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the listeners probably have a feeling on 
where I was trying to head with that. Um, I mean, really, when you see a team like this, there's usually at least one thing they could point out that's good. There's nothing good with this Mets team. There's really nothing well, good. Well, there's one good thing about the Mets team. They're, they're, con- they're consistent. Consistent. They're consistently bad. At being bad. That's what we have to root for now. On that note, we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, uh, much brighter news with the New York Yankees. Stay tuned, folks. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Good evening, folks, and welcome back to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, here in the studio. We're back, fresh, rejuvenated. We took our two-minute, I was about to say sabbatical, but that would be the wrong word, since mm-hmm. we just talked about the Mets. Um, let's get to the Yankees. Actually, before we get to the Yankees, James, gosh, Jose Reyes. You know, I- Talk about this guy here for a second. It's been rough. It's been pretty rough. Yeah. It hasn't been pretty for him. Uh, I mean, you know, what's he been on the team for three years now again? Something like that? Unfortunately. You know, I mean, his playing skills aren't up to par. His run, his, his, his speed with age obviously has gone down. So that's a big problem. And then we had... He, he's being thrown out. Like, what What are you trying to do? Stop trying to be who you used to be. Maybe be who you now should be with however old he is. I mean, he's just god-awful. When he's swinging at the bat, I don't understand what he's swinging at. And then, not to nitpick or anything, but he has that those black eyeliner things under his eyes during the middle of a night game. Like, I, the lights are probably bright, but, like, can you at least try to play like you used to? Show some leadership? You, you're not a third baseman. You're, you're a shortstop, which I understand Rosario's the guy. He's young, you know, but they, they just have to do something with him. I mean, it's just frustrating to watch him or see him. Oh, like yeah. what Tom said. He was trying to go to, what was he, he was trying to steal second or something? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he isn't making it whatsoever. It's It's been pretty bad. Um, all right. That was my rant on Reyes. I'm sorry. I just I needed to get Absolutely, that Absolutely. We for sure needed that. Kyle Russo, let's get to your New York Yankees. 31-15. and 15. However, they've dropped a second in the AL East and have dropped their first series since mid-April. Uh, they fall to the Rangers last night, 12 to, 12 to 10. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think their pitching outing, um, not just last night, but the entire series with Tanaka, Kerman, Sabathia, this proves that they need an arm come the trade deadline. Yeah. They need an arm, and we're, one of these young guys like a Clint Frazier or somebody, Torres or whoever it is, they may become expendable for the Yankees to be competitive and make a run. And I think it's even more stressed out now because of how well Boston is playing. They're not slowing down. Mm -mm. And this may be a race. 
it's it's very important to win this division because you don't want to have to play in that play-in game. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. So, like you were saying, Tom, I know a lot of people make jokes and stuff like that about Tanaka. You know, he's one pitch away from, you know, tearing his UCL, but it's true. It's true. Tanaka is not the same guy that we had three years ago. He's not performing at the same level. Domingo Herman, the only reason why he was the starting guy is because Jordan Montgomery got hurt. And CeCe, as much as I love him, you know, what is he going to give you at this point in his career? Four, five solid innings? I mean, and at that point, you're going to rely on relieving for the rest of the game? You, you can't. you got to have a guy that could give you a solid six, maybe even a seven. That's something that they need desperately. Because last night, they, they should have won that game, Tom. They were up 10-5. to five. You know, CeCe left the game. It was 10-7. to seven. They brought in David Robertson, and then the game just fell apart. He let up one big hit, and then they yeah. wound up losing 12-10. to 10. Let's rewind a little bit. Series starts off Masahiro Tanaka. Probably the best outing of these three games. Mm-hmm. Barely gets past five innings. Yep. Um, in the 10-5 to 5 win over Texas on Monday, where the Yankees' bats really came alive and helped Tanaka. They crushed Bartolo Colon, who we spoke about earlier. Uh, pretty sure they scored six runs on him. Yep. Cologne did not last. Tuesday comes along. Domingo German um, proves that he's just not cutting it in this starting rotation right now, that he's not ready just yet. Uh, not quick to discredit him, but he, he has not been good when he has started. Uh, Texas, you know, a team that's well under 500, double-digit digit games under 500, and they really got to German early. Uh, now let's talk about last night. Sabathia pitched his four and a third, six hits, seven runs, gave up two home runs, both in the fourth, to Mazzara and Guzman. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching Ryan Rucco call the game, and I'm just thinking, I'm flipping back and forth between the Mets and the Yankees, and I'm just thinking about Jacob DeGrom. And I had this awful image. I imagined him in pinstripes for a minute. That's a beautiful image for me. As That's Yankees an fan. awful image. You did not. You're serious, right? You're kidding. The Yankees hit four home runs last night and still lost the game. Two different tales on how the Mets and Yankees both lost last night. Didi gets the Yankees outer. Finally, Didi breaking out of his slump, the home run in the first inning. Then former Met Neil Walker follows up with a home run of his own in the, in the third. And then Gliber Torres. Stud. Wow. Absolute stud. Talk about coming out of nowhere. If you're a Major League Baseball fan, maybe not a Yankee fan, but... Absolute stud, this kid, Gleyber Torres, you know. In the fifth inning. A couple months ago, uh, a month ago, when they were speaking about bringing him up, you know, the Yankees were around 500, a couple games above. Right. You know, you really didn't, you really didn't know the energy or the spark that he was going to bring to this team. Yeah. And I'll tell you, as a viewer and a Yankee lover, this guy is absolutely rejuvenated this offense. Mm-hmm. And not only offense, but defense. I mean, everybody's talking about Didi and, you know, filling in Derek Jeter's shoes. What about what about Gleyber Torres? He's hitting 323, 323 from the nine hole. What, eight home runs? From the eight home hole. runs. Tom, how many how many games has he played in? Maybe, He's got 30 maybe 20 hits. 20 games? He's got 30 hits. Eight home runs already. 22 RBIs. How many games played? <sighs> trying to look know? up here. He's had 93 at-bats. Um, 
Yeah, let's get to his stats here. He's played 27 games. 27 games, 8 home runs, 20-plus RBIs, and above, what would you say, a 330? 323 average. 323 average. slugging percent. His OPS is just under 1,000. Absolutely incredible. Wow. Absolutely incredible. He's one of the best hitters on the team right now. And not to mention, when he hit that home run, the Yankees had fallen behind after getting out in front 4 nothing. They had fallen behind 5-4. to four. The two home runs that knocked Sabathia out of the game in the fifth inning. Yep. And Torres led the Yankees' onslaught in the fifth inning. Yep. Started with his home run, and then Aaron Judge. Was that the 471-foot homer last night? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Puts the Yanks up 10-5. Talk about Aaron Judge for a second and his stat, his stat line. 13 homers, 38 ribbies, 50 hits. Leads and hits, home runs, and RBIs on this team. Not as expected with the addition of Giancarlo Stanton as he got out to an awful start to his season, but he's starting to come along now. Yeah. And Judge has just been phenomenal throughout 95% of the season. Yep. Pretty much yep. the whole year, Judge has been there. He's been that one consistent bat. Yes, his average has dipped a little bit from last week. He's starting to cool off, but he's still hitting 284. For a guy who strikes out a lot and walks a lot, hitting 284 is not bad. Nope. Uh, and especially, you know, his capabilities. And, you know, the relief. We always talk about it every week in and week out. You know, right. just the cushion of this lineup. And then you, you see as a pitcher, stars like Miguel and Duhar and Clive Torres emerging. Good. It's like, where do you where do you pitch around this lineup? It's like from one to nine. Sure. Any guy could take you out of the park. Yeah. And uh, it's just, scary. Yeah, it really is. Judge has played 47 games this season. He has 50 hits. Last season, he had 154 hits in 155 games. He's already a third of the way there. Great start. So he may top that this season, likely will, and you would never know that he's hitting just 143 in his last seven games. Nope. You would never know. He's four for his last 28. And in the Texas series, um, he kind of got back on track. Despite the 0 for 3 in game two, he had two hits in each of the other two games, had a home run in each of those uh, two games last night and Monday. Yep. But um, despite the six runs in the fifth inning, Texas comes back four in the sixth where Profar hits the three-run double. Pretty sure, was it Robertson on the mound at that time? Robertson has been bad. Yeah, he's been really bad. The Yanks just got outslugged last night. Yep. That's why they lost their first series since mid-April. Yep. Well, it all comes back to the pitching. You know, you have a – I love CC, but, you know, four innings just isn't going to cut it. It's just not going to cut it. Right. You need to get a solid, consistent pitcher in which – you get six, max seven innings out of them. In the American League, it's guys. tougher. It's tougher in the yeah. American League, I will Absolutely. admit. Absolutely. To pitch six solid innings in the American League, that means something. Yep. Um, we talked about Gleyber Torres and how good he's been. He's hit a home run in three straight games. I think four he's home the runs. first Yankee to ever do that. Yeah, yep. four home runs in this series. He's just 21 years old. Yep. 21. Yep. Wow. He's the youngest player to do that to hit a home run in three straight games since his teammate Giancarlo Stanton did it when he was just 20. Yeah. Yep. It's it's incredible. Because then you future. Not only, yeah. Not only do you look at the now, but you look at the, the future. I mean, this could be a potential star for this Yankees team for the next 10-plus years. Yeah. And he doesn't turn 22 until the end of the year. Yeah. So he's going to be 21 for the rest of the season. He's so young. He's so fresh. He's raw. 
and he's emerging as a quality bat on this team. And it's pretty scary because you look at the Yanks now, Sanchez, who's been out with leg cramps this week, they expect him to be back for the series against the Angels as the Yanks are off tonight. They'll start that series tomorrow as they head back to the Bronx. Um, so with Sanchez a return looming, don't forget Tommy Canley and Greg Bird near their return as well. So talk about the emergence of Torres, Stanton, and getting these guys back from injury. I mean, the ceiling is pretty high for the New York Yankees right now. Yeah. Really high. It really is. I believe they lead the league in home runs right now. Yeah. I think they've hit 20, I believe it's 21 home runs in the last five games. Right. You know, that's an incredible stat. And plus they have at least, I'm looking at Tyler Austin, I know has eight. Yeah. Lavatoris has eight. Judge, Dede, Giancarlo, Sanchez, all have above 10. You know, this team is just an offensive dominant team. You know, all, this one pitcher away. And it's Brett really, Gardner, you know, he's he's on the older side now. He's well north of 30, but he's the leadoff guy that can get on base. He can swipe bags for you. He can really set the tempo of the game, and he's an important piece to the puzzle as well, Yep, I think. Um, and, look, the Yankees lose the series. They have the six-hour delay at Fort Worth International, not wanting them to go back to the Bronx. Good thing the Yanks were off today. Yeah, They were sending guys back to the hotel. They didn't leave till like, 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. It's been the, the last week has been rough for them. You know, yeah. they were supposed to play at the Nationals. Both games got uh, rained out. Right. You know, so they kind of had, obviously, rest, you know, you see is a good thing. But when they were on a streak as they were, you know, they cool off. I mean, I'm pretty sure the last they played on Sunday and then didn't wind up playing another game till Friday. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's not good. Plus, you got to travel to Texas. So, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't have their – they definitely had their A game when it came to the offensive part, the hitting-wise. But yeah. the pitching – you know, I'm not worried about it. No. I'm not worried about it. Um, one other question I have for you here on these Yankees. Um, Sheffield, from the, in the minors, comes back from the DL. Very impressive. Do you think the Yankees give him a shot before they try to go after a big-name pitcher near the trade deadline? Because right now the minor league pitchers they've been bringing up are clearly not ready clearly not ready yeah i could absolutely see them bringing up a guy like justice sheffield uh justice sheffield especially because you know you have your fifth starter who was jordan montgomery yeah and then you place domingo herman who's not a starter he's a reliever or at least he was a reliever and, you know you saw what he gave you out of this ranger game and you know it's not yeah. he's not a starter he's not mm-hmm. supposed to go five six innings so I could absolutely see them giving Justice Sheffield a chance. But don't forget how John Smoltz started early on in his career. He was a closer as well yeah. for the Atlanta Braves, and he emerged as a quality starter, had a couple nasty pitches in his uh, back pocket. But back to the Yankees. Uh, they're off today. They will return home tomorrow against the Los Angeles Angels, who come into town with a 27-22 record. The pitching matchup is ace Luis Severino, 7-1 and on the season. 2.35 earned run average, another ALCY young candidate. Yep. And he'll go against Angels lefty Andrew Heaney, 2-3, and 3.35 3. earned run average. And, you know, this is an important series for the Yankees. Look, I understand the schedule gets easier, but you don't want a layoff in Houston to transpire over into the series against the Angels because, you know, sometimes it messes with your confidence a little bit. You know, you it want does. It, 
but I think they're back in the Bronx. Their mindset should be right. They should be okay Friday. Yeah, not only just the the mindset and the confidence, but just like we were talking about before, how, you know, Boston's in their division. And, you know, you don't want to have, in October, you don't want to have to be that team that has to play that one game. And, you know, if you lose that game, it's all right. over. Yeah, You, you got to keep up with Boston. And they were for a very, very long time. They lost some right. winnable games at Texas. And hopefully they could keep it up against these difficult teams like L.A. and Houston. Any final thoughts on these Yankees? I think uh, going back to Sheffield, I feel like maybe they should trade them for a better piece. If you want. Possible. You know. But I think the Yankees, um, with their, look, the starting pitching was good early on in the season, but Sabathia went down. I think right now they need to trade one of these young hitting prospects away, like, yep. a, like a Clint Frazier, mm, who yeah. would actually be a good addition for the New York Mets. Well, just a question for you guys. Cause, Not related to Todd, by the way. Because Greg Bird is supposedly coming back. He's on his way back to the majors. Sure. So who do you send down in this lineup? Clint. But he's not in the line. That's what, like right. he's not in the lineup he, though. He, he's not in. He's. I mean, these guys, these quality know. guys like Clint Frazier. You can't send Gliver down at this point. And I don't know if you could send down Tyler Austin because he's 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 hot right Maybe now. Maybe Torres. I don't know. You just fit him in. It's, where it's he, tough. It is. You can't because, send Neil Walker down. No. Yeah, he's he's hot right now. He's had some quality yeah. bats in the last couple games. You know, and Tyler Austin, same thing. I feel like it's probably going to wind up being Tyler Austin. I don't want it to be because he plays first base. In replacing Greg Bird for this last month and a half. But, you know, sometimes, and it sounds silly, but sometimes having so much talent could be a problem because, you know, you're taking away quality at-bats from these guys like Tyler Austin who's probably going to wind up getting sent down from a guy like Greg Bird who he's really never – he has showed us what he's got, yeah, I but not on Tyler, a consistent level. Tyler's definitely the odd man out here, Yeah, unfortunately, because you have a veteran like Neil Walker who they signed in the offseason – uh, on that note, we're going to step aside from the Yankees, and we're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, it's our team of the week, and then we'll review and preview some of today's big games. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Kyle playing out the tunes. Welcome back to Review and Preview. Good evening. It is now past the 6 o'clock hour. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside James Montefusco. Kyle Russo back here in the studio tonight. Guys, you know what time it is. It's top of the hour. Team of the week. Let's get to it. Um, James, we'll start with you. Who's your team of the week? I'm leaning more towards uh, the Capitals from hockey. They, uh, Last night was Game 7. As everybody in the sports world knows, Game 7 is a do or die. Everybody loves Game 7s. Um, and they played phenomenal last night. Not only a 4-0 shutout, mm-hmm. not only a win on the road, not only being back, I believe, in 20 years to to the finals, but also... Um, they just capitalized on the Lightning's mistakes. I watched it a group with a group of buddies of mine last night, and they were. And I was also texting another one that wasn't there, but there there were mistakes, um, some 
breakaways that the Capitals got, which the Lightning should have covered. Um, definitely not a big Washington fan in any of the sports, but hat, hats off to them on making it for from so long, and uh, I wish them luck against Vegas. Transitioning to Kyle, I think I know where you're going with this one. Yeah, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with the team that's facing the Caps in the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm going to go with the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, I mean, how much more could we say? Just the expansion part of the team is just incredible. From where they stand, just how the chemistry that this team has built. I mean, this team is playing like they've been around for years and years and years together, building up this chemistry. And they're just playing unbelievably. Yeah. You know, there's going into the season 500 to 1 odds to get, make it to the Stanley Cup. Now there's people favoring them over the Caps, an experienced yeah. team that's been around for a long time, well-coached, and people are having them in five games, six games. Uh, this team is just an absolutely incredible team. Mm-hmm. If if it wasn't considered hockey, the fourth most popular sport, you know, under football, under baseball, under basketball, this would be one of the greatest sports stories most talked about on all the sports networks in the country right now. And, and hats off to them, all the recognition of them, to the coaching, to the team. Yeah. All these guys mm-hmm. have come out of nowhere, and William Carlson, you know, the vets that you have in Mark Andrew Fleury, Andre Fleury, James Neal, all these guys. That's off to them. Congratulations. Two excellent picks. Uh, they'll represent the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm going to go with the baseball. We just spent an hour on it. We spoke about them. I'm going to go with the Red Sox. And we spoke about Betts, Benatendi, Hanley, J.D. Martinez, how phenomenal they've been. Betts, you know, leading the league in batting average, home runs, ribbies. J.D. Martinez right up there as well with with the dingers. But the pitching, the pitching has been tremendous. I think Joe Kelly has found a home in the Red Sox bullpen. 3-0 record. His ERA well under two. Craig Kimbrell, 15 saves. Second in the National League and the American League, excuse me, and the starting rotation. Chris Sale, 96 strikeouts compared to just 17 walks. What about Rick Porcello? Six and one record. Porcello is six and one. Sale is five and one. Eduardo Rodriguez as well, a four and one record. He's been very impressive. David Price has been somewhat inconsistent, but when you round out those four in the rotation, they've been super impressive. And they're they have three to four quality starters and Drew Pomeranz, you know, a young arm for them. I just think their pitching is really setting the tone for their hitting for these guys like Martinez to to break out. Uh Mookie Betts, you know, small guy who plays right field, he's been incredible. And Mitch Moreland has been up there too. Uh, a lot of a lot of people don't really talk about him. Brock Holt as well. You know he hasn't played every day, but when he's in the lineup, he's producing. You know he's been on the DL. But uh, Xavier Bogarts, don't forget about him, and Hanley Ramirez. They have a core group of guys, not just on offense, but their pitching rotation and their bullpen. This team is well rounded and very strong. So the Red Sox are my team of the week. Good pick, definitely a good yeah. pick. Back to baseball. Let's uh, review and preview some of the big games tonight in Major League Baseball. One game that I believe has ended the Los Angeles Angels cruise past the Toronto Blue Jays as Mike Trout hits his 15th home run of the season. 
So the Angels get the 8-1 to win over the Blue Jays at the Rogers Center as Trout homered, Pujols homered, and Martin Maldonado drove in three runs in that 8-1 victory to really fuel these Angels. And I think that's a big momentum boost for them going into the series against the Yankees. It should be pretty competitive tomorrow night. Yep, definitely. This is definitely uh, another team that's has very good pitching. You know, Shohei Otani, absolutely incredible. What he's done with the bat, what he's done with the arm. Yeah. You know, and you have these other guys. You know, you forget sometimes. They got Mike Trout. They also got a legendary first ballot Hall of Famer in Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. I can carry them. You know, this is definitely going to be a good series against the Yankees. And, uh, yeah, and for the Blue Jays, you know, they started off the season hot. They really did. They were right behind the they were right behind the Red Sox. I believe one game behind them. They were ahead of the Yankees by five games at one point in the season. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they have just completely slumped off. The the pitching has been disgusting by Marcus Stroman, Marco Estrada. It's it's been terrible. Stroman surprisingly has been awful. Yeah. Another game going on right now. Uh, currently in progress. Bottom of the eighth inning. The Oakland Athletics are leading the Seattle Mariners four to three at home. And Repchinski currently on the mound for the Seattle Mariners as Joyce is at the plate. So that's a close game we'll keep an eye on. And Seattle surprised a lot of people, you know, in the AL West. I think that they've been pretty decent. Segura, their leadoff hitter, 3 for 4 today, 317 average. Again, a young team, very young, uh, and really not a team that's on a lot of people's radars with how well rounded that the West has been in previous seasons. Well, you know what it is. I mean, you lose your your all-star, Robinson Cano, and you know, you kind of forget about the team and what they're capable of. And you got the Houston Astros to compete with. Yeah, that's that that's that's not a good thing either. Yeah. You know, the pitching, we all know what they could do. Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Charlie Morton, Lance McCullers, all those guys. Yeah, they've been pretty, pretty darn good. Yep, very good. Um... Another game, Astros at Indians. Speaking of Houston, they will start at 6-10. That'll be Clevenger starting as that game is actually underway in the top of the first inning, just underway. As the Astros look to continue their winning ways, they've really, that lineup top to bottom, you got Springer, Bergman, Altuve, second in the league in hits, uh, Carlos Correa, Yuri Gurriel, Brian McCann. You know, this team's deep. Yeah, it's, it's deep. another it's another one of those teams where it's like for any opposing pitchers, it's like who can I pitch around here? Who could I get who could I push out to the next Not inning? Much. You really can't. You got Charlie Morton on the mound tonight, ERA under two. He's been incredible. Yep. But Indians are no walkover. No. For sure. Um another game, Red Sox at Tampa Bay. That'll start at seven. We just talked about Boston, see if they can continue their winning ways. Uh, Blake Snell on the mound tonight for the Rays hmm. as they start their series. Uh, C.J. Crone has been pretty good this season for Tampa Bay. I, I like what I've seen out of him. He's a power bat. I actually picked him up on my fantasy team as of late. He's just 28 years old, 6'4". He's a big body, hitting around the 270, 275 mark. Uh, Tampa Bay, they just need a little more oomph on that team. So we'll see what happens. Um, and then, of course... You got the Mets against the Brewers, which we <sighs> James. Yes. Matt's better show up tonight. He better show up. 
He, if he doesn't, can we leave him in uh, Milwaukee? Yeah, you know, that's uh, <laughs> something that's lingered in my mind. You as know, well. can we like leave him there and hopefully he like walks back yeah. to New York, finds his way, maybe wakes something up there? Yeah, don't bring him back. Yeah. All right, enough of baseball. It's it's been it's been it's been a rough day for Met fans and for Yankee fans as well. Uh, the Yankees have definitely not had it easy, losing a series to a subpar 500 team and then getting a delayed flight on the way back to the Bronx against the pretty uh, up and coming Los Angeles Angels team. Speaking of up and coming, the NBA playoffs are. We're near deciding the teams who will represent the East and the West in the NBA Finals. Let's get started with the East. Last night, the Boston Celtics defeat the Cleveland Cavaliers to go up 3-2 in their series. 96-83 final score. And the Celtics are now just one win away from reaching the NBA Finals for the first time since 2010. They're also 10-0 at home. In the postseason. In the postseason. Yep. In the post- yes. So... If uh, record proves itself, should be a pretty promising game six for Boston. As you heard a lot of Celtics and six chants last night. Yep. Well, if, if that's the case scenario, then then we might be seeing a game seven at TD Garden because on the road this uh, postseason, I believe they're one and seven. Well, that's right. Yeah, they are ten yeah. and zero at home and one and seven. Which series in, does go to on the Cleveland. road. It does go to Cleveland. So uh, you know, just to recap this game last night, it's just. Incredible coaching yeah. by Brad Stevens. Incredible dominance on defense. You know, to fatigue LeBron. I mean, just absolutely incredible. I mean, this guy for years and years and years, what's his kryptonite? What, right. How can we slow him down? No. You know, we can't do it. I mean, a team like the Raptors, everybody thought the Raptors were going to knock him off. He, he swept them in four, scoring like 40 every night. You Which, know, how can you slow this man down? It really confuses me how he's not guaranteed coach of the year already because Dwayne Casey, who's... Doesn't Apparently, he have a job right still now? Favorite is 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 gone. Yeah, it's gone. Dwayne Casey is currently getting interviewed by the Detroit Pistons. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and Toronto has been long gone from postseason play. Yep. Back to Boston. What's really carried them to a three-two series lead is their defense. Yeah. Game mm-hmm. two at home, they held LeBron to just fifteen points. LeBron is tired. The yeah. whole team is t- I mean, everyone's tired LeBron at this point. LeBron looked gassed. But Le- LeBron is using it as an excuse, but rightfully so, because he has no help. There's yeah. no supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, the only guys that really contribute night in and night out are him. You get Kevin Love on occasion. They don't spread the ball enough. You know, Kyle Korver's getting looks here and there. But when the supporting cast shows up, Cleveland usually has success. Yeah. But Boston does a good job at counteracting that. Talk about the lineup changes they made. In Game 5, look, they're up 2-0 in the series. They go home. Cleveland wins both games at home. Series now tied 2-2. LeBron coming off a 44-point game in Game 4. The Corver shooting definitely played a factor for them. Him and LeBron actually both 0-3 guys out of the draft. Not a lot of those guys left. But Boston comes home, Game 5, 37-0, all-time in leading a series 2-0. They win Game 5 last night by 13, and the two changes that really impressed me was sizing up Cavaliers with Thompson in love um, Brad Stevens inserts Aaron Baines starting over Marcus Morris to go alongside Horford in the front court and not going eight man deep just seven men rotation for the Boston Celtics and it really proved to work in their favor 
which is why I think Stevens deserves to be coach of the year. Defensively, they gave up just 83 points. Yep. Mm-hmm. To the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yep. Yeah, the, the, this this Cleveland Cavaliers team is just it's just really bad. And it's really yeah. a shame because these guys got paid. Tristan Thompson, Jarrah Smith, and they are just not showing up. You not know, showing up. Aaron Baines is a quality center in this league, but when he, when when he's holding Tristan Thompson at one point, Jr. Did he even score last night? Jr. I don't think George Hill. I know had seven points. I think Jr. was in single digits, if I'm it's, not mistaken. It's just and, and LeBron. You know, even though he's fatigued, still dropped 27. But this this team is just not supporting LeBron. No. I mean, he the ball movement is there. It's there. You just got to make your shots. You know, right. Jr. all you have to do, make the three. Yeah, and he can't yeah. do it. It's just like every time he touches the ball, you just know it's not going in. It's rough. It really is. It really is. And it's a shame because, you know, LeBron is one of the greatest of all time. In my book, he's the second greatest of all time right behind Jordan. And he just has nothing to help him. Not one thing can you depend on besides LeBron James on this Cleveland Cavaliers team. Nope. There was this stat this morning. I totally forgot the numbers. But when I was watching SportsCenter, it came up that LeBron has just added up the miles this season. It was ridiculous on the amount of numbers I heard. I forget. I wish I remembered. But for him to do that, I mean, he's carried this team. So it for him to be gassed and tired, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Smith had two points last night. Yeah. So Tristan Thompson had one. Yeah. Smith, one for six from the field, 0 for four from deep. Cleveland did not shoot the ball well, but neither did Boston. Neither did Boston. It wasn't until late uh, that Boston started to pull away in that third quarter. But the reason why the Celtics are up 3-2, to two, not just because of the veteran presence of Al Horford, the emergence of Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, but Jason Tatum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 24 points, 7 rebounds, 4 steals. Tatum is 4th now in playoff points scored by a rookie. This guy's 19 years old. He's 19, 20 years old. He's playing on a whole nother level. And what's scary to think about is that they don't have Kyrie or Gordon Hayward. That's what's crazy about this team. It's like you see all this good stuff now. But like, just wait till next season. Because even if, listen, if Boston manages to win Game 6 in Cleveland... I believe tomorrow night, right? I think it's tomorrow night. Yes, it is absolutely an incredible con- uh, accomplishment. Yeah. Do I believe that they will be able to win against a team like Houston or Golden State? No, I really don't. Right? Can they be competitive? Yes, but this is what this is not what they're preparing for right now. They're preparing for next season. A lot of people forget Boston came into this season with six rookies on their roster. Yep, and a lot of those role players off the bench. Thice was a rookie. Nader. Tatum. Yabosiel. Yeah, he's given some quality minutes in some uh, some of these couple of games. Don't forget Ojale from Southern Methodist, SMU. Yep. yep. Uh, look, the team is very youthful. The oldest guy on the roster is Al Horford, 31 years old, 10 years out of Florida. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, you're looking top to bottom. Brown is 20, 21. Tatum's 20, just turned 20. Kyrie Irving is still just 26. Rozier is 24. You're even looking at the guys that have been around for a while. Marcus Morris, just 28. And then you got Aaron Baines as well. Aaron Baines, just his sixth year in the the league. 
even though Bain's on the older side, he's a little north of 30 as well, along with Horford. But the team is young, but they have veteran presence like Al Horford. And Aaron Baines, who uh, played with the San Antonio Spurs, he, you know, he has championship experience. Yeah, so you Marcus definitely— Marcus Morris is a veteran. Definitely sitting under, you know, right. Tim Duncan, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. Definitely helps bringing leadership, veteran role to this Boston Celtics team. Yeah. That's probably what, in my opinion, that's what's making them go so far. The question that I must ask you guys now, will Boston win in six? I think they'll win in seven. I mean, just nothing has showed me that they could win on the road. That makes sense. So— I mean, I agree. And then at the TD Garden, they're just unstoppable. They, there's nothing that could. There's not the ten and zero right now at home this postseason, and there's just nothing that could stop them. Even LeBron James can't stop him. Now, I want to say Boston, I really do, but just LeBron James when he's in trouble, he just finds himself. He he just digs himself out of a hole. He he does. I mean, I know he was fatigued last night. I know he was tired. It doesn't matter how tired this man is. If he needs to win, he's going to do it. And I feel like LeBron's going to push a Game 7, and I feel like he's going to win in Game 7. You think so? I really do. You think Le- I don't? LeBron? I don't want to see it because I don't, as a fan, as a big fan of LeBron James, Yeah. I am sick and tired. I don't care how right. great the legacy is. Yeah. I am sick and tired, not just of, like, I love seeing LeBron James at the finals. It makes it competitive. It makes it fun. Because, to be honest, even if this team, even if this Boston team goes to the finals, I feel like LeBron James single-handedly has a better chance against winning a couple games against Golden State or Houston rather than this Boston team. I mean, he's the only one over the past couple of years who showed he's capable of doing that. I mean, this Boston team is fantastic and all, but they're young. And that's really what's going to either make or break this team right. if they do wind up moving on or if Cleveland to. beats them in 6-7. or seven. And LeBron is pretty much flawless in Game 7, yep. yeah. as we've noted in the past. Will the NBA allow LeBron James to not play in the NBA Finals this year? My real, my real question by that is saying, will the NBA let Boston win the series? I don't know. I really don't know. They're one game away. I hope so. I mean, one game. It's all they need, and LeBron is done for this season at least. You know what it comes down to, guys? It just comes down to, in, at the end of the day, who's going to give you the more competitive series? Cleveland against right. Houston, Cleveland against Golden State, or Boston against Houston, or Boston against Golden State? Fair enough. I mean, uh, I, Golden State against Boston, I just I don't, I don't even see even a chance. Maybe Houston a little more, but you know with LeBron James, you always get a chance. Yeah. Would you guys rather see two fresh teams? I'd rather see a Cleveland versus Houston. Okay. I'd rather see that. Not that I don't want to see Boston make it to the finals. I would be perfectly fine with that happening. I just feel like they will not have as fair a chance. I feel like the matchup with James Harden and Chris Paul will be too hard for them, too difficult. I agree. And then especially matching up against the Hampton Five will be impossible. That's Mm -hmm. fair enough. Um, we'll see what happens. Game six, I believe that's tomorrow night, right? Yep. And yeah. We'll have we'll we'll actually know who's moving on to the NBA Finals when our show comes around next week. When we come back, we will talk about the Western Conference series between the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWP Sports. 
Good evening, folks, and welcome back to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside Kyle Russo and James Montefusco. Now, let's dive into the Western Conference Finals. We just talked about LeBron and the Celtics battling it out. Game 6 will be tomorrow night in Cleveland. Now, let's get to the West. Game 5 is tonight. The Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets are tied 2-2, and I think Houston is a lot more tougher and a lot more competitive than Golden State thought that they might be and what Golden State is used to playing in the Western Conference. I think Houston poises a real severe threat to Golden State making the NBA Finals this season as the Rockets won Game 4, 95-92. And look, yes, James Harden took too many shots in Game 4, but having Chris Paul right by his side is really helping him match up with Golden State. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. You know, this this series has been more competitive than I believe that it would be. I mean, originally I had said that I would be surprised if Houston, I would be surprised if Golden State took more than five games to close this out. They don't, I'm happy that I'm wrong. I mean, I, I want this to be a legendary Western Conference Finals. And that's what it has been so far. You know, you've had you've had your altercations. Yeah, you seven games. You've had your close yeah. games, right down to the wire. Draymond in game Green, four. Trevor you've had Draymond Green, <laughs> Trevor Reza. That's what I like to yeah. see. Now, for tonight's game, I know the plan in Houston, and I'm hoping Houston can pull this game out. But I don't know that they can. I know that Andre Iguodala is not playing tonight. That's a major factor. It's a major factor to why they lost in Game Four. Obviously. The defensive present that he uh, presence that he brings to the table is unmatchable to anything that Houston has. Yeah. No matter what offensive weapon you throw at him, he will be there defensively. He will give you points offensively, rebounds, assists. He, the guy does everything. Right. It's a major factor why they lost Game Four, and I believe it'll be a major factor tonight why they will lose Game Five. Think so? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Golden State will be on the road tonight. Uh, Houston yeah. will be home for Game Five, and look. It came down to the very last second. The foul by Sean Livingston with just half a second left. And that was actually a controversial play. Houston thought the game was over. They thought they had it tied 2-2. Two to two. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, um, Golden State gets possession. Chris Paul splits the pair at the line. Steve Kerr takes the timeout, and then Golden State advances the ball. They advance the ball to half court, and then I think it was, I, don't, I forget if Thompson or Curry shot it, I think it was Steph. No, it was, no, it was Thompson. It was Thompson. Yeah. The air ball. They got a clean look. They really got a clean look. And, you know, for a second I thought it was going in, but Houston survives. They win game two. And another factor in this game, we talked about Chris Paul. We talked about James Harden, the role players. Clint, Clint Capella, beast on the boards, 13 rebounds. Trevor Ariza, great defender, really locking down on Kevin Durant at times and Draymond Green. And then don't forget about P.J. Tucker. He played 44 minutes, and he had 16 rebounds. P.J. Tucker is not your traditional four man. He's a stretch four. He's more of a small forward. Mm-hmm. The uh, presence of, T- of P.J. Tucker in that lineup has been huge yeah. for Houston. Absolutely. He's been a defensive force, and he's on the perimeter. He could shoot. Yeah. Very good from the three-point line. I think he's been really efficient. And, again, you know, Mike D'Antoni trimming his rotation a little bit. Uh, Chris Paul attempting to get to his first NBA Finals. But again, I'll ask, will he get there? Will the NBA allow it? 
these are questions that are yet to be answered. What do you guys think? Uh, it's great questions like you did with LeBron, uh, with the Cavs and uh, the Celtics. I mean, if the I don't know what the ratings are like for the NBA uh, for these finals, but I feel like if it's the Warriors and the Cavs again, they may see a decline in who's watching. Right. No, exactly. Because it's like, here we go again, the same teams from last year. You know, or the you could also make the argument that the ratings will stay the same because this is who the NBA wants to see. That's also as true. Well, so I, it's hard to depict what um, what the NBA is thinking. What uh, theoretically speaking here, what the NBA wants to see in the NBA Finals is probably Golden State and Cleveland again. Yeah. Uh, what the fans want could be the same, could be different. I mean, I think the fans might want. I think Cleveland we know versus it. Houston. Yeah. Yeah. I think they want that. I, I really do. You know, James Harden versus LeBron. Boston really doesn't have one star on the team right now, even though Tatum is starting to emerge into that guy. Yeah. Maybe too soon to say, but the I, way he's been blossoming. With that potential series matchup of Houston versus Cleveland, I feel like that's more of like a 50-50 coin toss. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, you have Golden State versus Cleveland. I mean, Golden State beat Cleveland last year in five they games did. with yeah. better Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. Yeah. You know, Boston's too young to the point where they potentially could get five games at a Golden State or five games at a Houston. I mean, if you have LeBron against Houston, I mean, that's two different animals. They've never faced each other before. Yeah. Chris Paul's never been to the uh, – Chris Paul, and I believe almost everybody on that team has never been to the finals before. Right. Yeah. So that could potentially be a better matchup. Except for James Harden, I believe. Yep, he was – OKC, OKC, 2012. Yeah, he – a lot of people forget about that, how they beat the Spurs in that series. But James Harden, I think, uh, and LeBron, that would be a pretty good matchup to watch. Yep. Yeah. They both are two big guys that I would say, I believe, are very boisterous on yeah, that field. Absolutely. That it would be very interesting on either if they clash with one another or if they just let that be and just yeah. play the game. Another thing, Game 5 tonight, uh, the Rockets will be wearing... Um, the patches for the Santa Fe victims. Tragic. Um, who wins Game 5 tonight? Who do you guys think wins Game 5? Because realistically, this can decide the series. Houston is home. They have the home field advantage. Yeah. Can Golden State find a way? I think Houston. Um, because of how, I mean, just what happened in Texas. So they kind of got the edge a little bit. Um, but then again, the Warriors could surprise you. So I'm, I'm leaning more towards the Rockets. And we have Griffin Ward currently watching the Instagram Live video I just put up. He thinks the Rockets are going to win. Uh, I think is Griffin, a, a Celtics fan himself, former engineer for the show, um, I think he'd like to see a Rockets-Celtics matchup. Um, so thank you for your commentary there, Griffin. Um, hope you're doing well. Anyway... The yeah, you know, I just think it. I think it comes down to Game Five. A lot of times, Game Five decides who wins. But then, if you come back and counteract that and win in Game Six, which I think is the toughest thing to do in sports, once you're down three to two in Game Five, see what happens. Griffin also thinks Celtics are going to win in six. By the way, hmm. you, you very... think Cavs in seven? Actually, let's predict these series right now. What do you guys think, Kyle? I think Cavs in seven. I, I truly believe it, just because of the fact that. You know, when Cleveland's playing at home, it's just a completely different animal from all standpoints. You know LeBron's going to give you 40 or 30-plus. 
And then just the rest of the team, all the role players, like we were talking about. J.R. Smith shows up. Tristan Thompson shows up. Kevin Love plays on a whole nother level. Kyle Korver plays on a whole nother level. So I think that'll force a game seven. And then ultimately, I believe the pressure will succumb yeah. Boston and Cleveland will wind up coming out victorious. Corver's shooting is huge in the series. Yeah, it really, it really is. is. It's the X factor. It's going to come down to um, because it, when LeBron gets Corver involved, you see the two wins in the series. Corver had fourteen points each of those wins. Yep. Kyle Corver can still score double digits in this league. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't have as many miles as him on him as the average player does. Because remember, Corver when he played for Utah and when he played for Chicago, he came off the bench a lot. Yeah. You know, he started early on in his career with the Sixers with Allen Iverson. Andre Iggy, but um, yeah, you know, a lot of people forget what Kyle Korver can do with, especially with how inefficient J.R. Smith has been. I think having Korver as a lethal weapon, look, the Rodney Hoods, the Larry Nances, they, they're too young, they're too new to this team, they haven't been contributing. Yeah, I, I don't even think Rodney Hood has played. I don't even think Rodney Hood has played. No, he played. I know Larry Nance has gotten a couple time. minutes, but he played I don't, garbage time. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. So for, for my pick, I'm going to pick Cleveland 7. You did take Cleveland in 7? Yep. Griffin's got the Celtics in 6. James, who do you got? I'm going with Griffin's pick, Celtics. Celtics in 6? Yeah, I think they just, I mean, they're young. I mean, LeBron looked exhausted last night. Yeah, but, oh, definitely. But with the day off, rejuvenation, you know, things happen. But I, I'm still going with the Celtics. Um, just how Tottenham's been doing um, and stuff. That he's uh, he's on a different level, and he, I think yeah. that team, that team's young enough where they can take the hit. Say if they don't make it to the to the finals, or even if they do and they lose, I think they're not young enough. They're like, we got here, we can get there. Again. They'll be back. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that factors into it is the youth. The youth of this team. They're not going to win Game Six, but I think, I think, they find a way in Game 7 to beat Cleveland. Yeah. And I think part of it is due to Brad Stevens' coaching philosophy. Yeah. I think he's a better coach than Tyron Lue. Ty- Tyron Lue, he's a good coach. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I think Brad Stevens is better. Yeah. I just think his philosophy is more built for a championship team, and that's why I think I'm going Celtics in 7. I wouldn't be surprised because, honestly, just to, sh- uh, just to show you guys, uh, you know, 10-0 and at home. In this postseason. It, I mean, it's really it's, showed you. Yeah, I mean, sometimes yeah, efficient. people say home court, home field advantages plays a factor. Sometimes it gets over-exaggerated, uh, over but it's really proved. I mean, yeah. look at their record at home versus on the road. It says something for itself. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Celtics come out Game 7. But for Game 6, I feel like the Cavs are going to win that game. All right, quick around the horn, let's predict the West. Um, you know, Houston, 7. And I, you know, I already regret saying that, but that's what my gut tells. That's what my heart wants to happen. Yeah, I feel like if Houston does not Tough. pull this game out tonight and take advantage of the fact that a major key contributor in Andre Iguodala is going to be out, Golden State's going to win the series in six. But if they do, happen. Uh, I feel like Houston in seven. Yeah, they have the same qualities that Golden State has in terms of spreading the ball around. James, I want to say Houston. But something's telling me the Warriors are going to just find a way. Find a Too way. Too many weapons. Kevin yeah. Durant, you Steph got, Curry. Yeah, if they all Draymond. get going, I would like the Rockets, but I'm something's telling me about the Warriors. Yeah. 
All right. On that note, we have our picks in. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk a little football, and we're going to talk about a couple of issues in NBA news before we get there. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back, folks, to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, joining me here in the studio. Last 20 minutes of the show, let's uh, wrap up our NBA segment. Uh, Pistons looking at Dwayne Casey, no longer with Toronto. Uh, he got the boot, unfortunately, partially due to Toronto getting swept in the postseason by Cleveland in the East Semis. And the Magic, there were reports about Tom Izzo. You can throw those reports to bed. Magic and Tom Izzo no longer interested in a potential deal. So it looks like Izzo will be returning to the Spartans of Michigan State. Unless another team draws interest, we'll see how that unfolds. And this just in, actually, it was made official but not reported until last night. Uh, my team, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish men's basketball team, will be playing University of Oklahoma at MSG over at the Garden on December 4th for the Jimmy V Classic. That will be a doubleheader. The Notre Dame-Oklahoma game will be followed by West Virginia-Florida. So definitely going to try to get to that as Notre Dame, a core group of returners this season, have Rex Fluger, TJ Gibbs, John Mooney, a couple of those guys coming back. Let's segue into the NFL. All right, a lot to talk about here, guys. Let's start off with... The recently approved transaction of the National Anthem Policy, it was approved by NFL owners unanimously that mm-hmm. players are required to stand on the field for the anthem, but they do have the option to remain in the locker room. Failure to comply, so let's say if a team or a player or any team personnel decides to take a knee during the anthem or not show respect for the flag, they will be fined, and those are the consequences. They, they, they will be fined. You know, and the NFL just gets into trouble all the time with this over the last year or so. Roger Goodell states that this season everyone shall stand and show respect for the anthem. Um, look, football, it should not be about politics. Yeah, but no, that's what it's become. And it's sad to say, you know, obviously, listen. There are things wrong in this country, without a doubt, that need to be addressed. But this, in a way, in which players are taking the attempt to protest, I don't believe is necessarily the right way Mm -mm. to do it. You know, taking a knee during the national anthem, I mean, even though you may feel and may say that that's not what you mean out of it, you don't want to disrespect the people that fall for us, you don't want to disrespect the flag. I mean, that's what it is. We get that you want to get your point across, and without a doubt, you should, because there's things happening on in this country. For instance, uh, Milwaukee Bucks player, Sterling Brown, a couple nights ago, he was, uh, it was at 2 o'clock in the morning, he was at a Walgreens, he was at a Walgreens, he was parked in a handicapped spot at 2 o'clock in the morning at a Walgreens, he was circled then by five police officers, was complying with everything. And then was tackled and then tased and arrested. 
and uh, I believe it was yesterday, Milwaukee, Milwaukee's head, uh, head chief officer in charge had apologized and mm-hmm. said that this will now be looked into. Right. And you know what? That's an example. Why does this happen? There's, I don't know. I mean, there's no need for this to happen. I mean, we see an obvious th- – there's stuff wrong that needs to be protested, mm-hmm. and that's completely understandable. But not on the football field. Yeah. Not, not on the, on the football field. Yeah. Do you, While the national anthem is playing. Do you think that, like any other sport, we don't see the national anthem in baseball? We don't see it in hockey? I don't believe – I don't think. Well, you do in baseball. Yeah, after the seventh – mid-seventh yeah. mid inning. Well, for the Yankees. For the Yankees. For the, the Mets, you have the national anthem before the game. Yeah, yeah. but that's not it. right. T- televised. Yeah. So, do you think the NFL should have just been like, "We're not going to televise the anthem"? I see what you're saying. You know, be like, yeah. take that. It we'll, may get to that point. Take Up that. until a couple of years ago, I believe it wasn't televised. It was just started to become uh, televised within the last couple of years. You take that ten minutes out and Look. start the game, and then nobody knows on who sat, who who kneeled, and then they just play the game like a normal game right unless you're at the game yeah but this is just setting a bad example for kids you know for the next generation coming up it's not good and back to the sterling brown incident for the nba bucks player look i I don't know if i'm going to take a side because look according to people he could have been complying but according to the cops he could have not been complying you know there's only stuff that's shown on camera shown on tv it's really tough to pick a side from a third party but people will are there racial injusti- injustices? Yes, but it goes both ways, and people fail to realize mm-hmm. that. It goes both ways, and, you know, you, you can't punish one race for this and then one race for that. It's just the way the NFL is right now. And um, Roger Goodell trying to crack down. And did you hear what Jets CEO Chris Johnson I said? Did. He will pay the fines for players who want to protest during the anthem. He's behind his players. I'm complete. In support of what Chris Johnson is doing, I'm not a, I'm not necessarily a fan, in you know the, uh, the action in which how they're protesting, you know kneeling in front of the, for the national anthem. I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of that necessarily, but I'm a fan in the fact that you know you're supporting your players and there should be protest mm-hmm. because there is stuff wrong, in this country that needs to be addressed. And you know obviously as an athlete, you have a platform that you stand on. You mm-hmm. either take that with responsibility or you don't, and as you stand on that platform, you need to speak for the people that can. And I appreciate everything that these players are doing, especially players like, you know, how you see Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long and what they did this offseason. I appreciate that as a viewer because of the fact that there is things wrong that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. But I think there's other ways that can. Yeah, just not on the football field. Yeah. In complete support of what everybody's doing, just not on the football. The football is a game. Right. It's not yeah. about politics. It's about playing the game. Right, but a lot of people are notorious for whining about this stuff and just asking what they want, and that's wrong. That's what's wrong with this, with this generation. People whine about everything. They expect yep. everything to be handed to them on a silver platter. That's where, how it works. You know, you look at somebody who's earned their salary, who's earned their contract, and they're getting penalized for it. You know, again... Not trying to get into politics, but that's something that needs to be looked at. Something that needs to be looked at. You can't punish somebody for working hard to get to where they are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. and then be punished um, for their their rights uh, and their amendments. I don't think Chris Johnson is. It's 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 really tough because again, 
There's two sides. He He's putting too much attention on himself, though. To just blurt out and say that, I think, was dumb. Yeah. I'm not saying his point was right or wrong, but I, I think to just do that, to put unnecessary attention on himself and the Jets. Yeah. I see that view. I do. This I'm more looking, not looking forward to isn't the right term, but I'm more interested as the season gets closer, as with preseason, and when the season starts. As to what's going to happen. As yeah. to what go and what the broadcasters think about this. Yeah. Like, if you talk about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Yeah, well, what do you talk about at that time? You just got to ignore it, right? You know, like. Well, I have to imagine that they would obviously address it, because last season, that's when it all started, like in the preseason. I remember I was watching. Started with Kaepernick. Yeah. yeah. I remember I was watching the uh, the Browns versus the Giants game. And, you know, before the game started, Cameron was on the Browns sideline. They had at least 20-plus right. guys circled all around each other, you know, hands up, kneeling down during the anthem. I just don't believe that's the right way to address it. No. Completely understand, because there's some people that see that there isn't a problem yeah. in which how there is rach, uh, racial injustice in this country. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue in, in and of itself. But there is. I just don't think that it needs to be addressed in this way. Right. I mean, keep your keep your career separate from keep your playing on the field separate from what you're doing personally I'm, and your personal beliefs. I'm confused by the whole thing because unfortunately, there's always going to be racial injustices. You know? But why now? Why now at this time? That's what confuses me. Uh, honestly, I don't understand it. And you hear what Donald Trump said? Yeah. Players yeah. who won't stand for the anthem, maybe they shouldn't be in the country. Now, that's a little over the top. And when I heard that, I was kind of kind of upset yeah. with his views on that, considering the fact that, you know, they don't have a problem with America. They have a problem with some people and how they take action. Right. You know, well, the higher power. Remember something. That's what they're saying. Yeah. That's what they're saying in front of the media. Is that actually what they're doing? Or do these players just want attention on themselves? Some of them may want attention. Like, some of them may actually want to do that for that reason, but others may not. I mean, you look at a guy like Kaepernick, and that's the that's the million-dollar question. What does it come down to? Well, he's just a moron. Well, what does it come down to? Does it come down to attention? I mean, the guy hasn't played football in, like, two years, and we're he, still talking about he, it. He, he has I, – I think Kaepernick has no legit reasoning behind it. That's just me. Other players probably do, but I think Kaepernick, he's, all, he's always been in trouble growing up. Yeah. You know? Like, even in college at, at Nevada, his slate wasn't clean. It's a very difficult topic to discuss. And you know, you know what Steve Kerr so said, too? It's idiotic. Very happy that he's part of the NBA. Well, I'm very happy that it's not an issue in the NBA because if it was, you know, the NFL is corrupt enough right now. Yeah. The NFL is where all the attention is going, and not for good reasons. It all comes down to who people right. stand behind. Because, yeah. I mean, people, I mean, you watch in the NBA, everybody, there's not one person in the NBA that I could see as a player that hates Adam Silver. Everybody hates Roger Goodell, whether you're a fan, yeah, an owner, a player. I mean, nobody likes this guy. And once yeah. you don't stand behind him, you won't stand behind his views and what he no, preaches. not at all. The interesting part's going to come of this is when there's high school football that starts up again and college football that starts up again. Right. I feel like the, there's going to be something along those lines as well yeah. as not just the NFL. For sure. Yep. Now, gearing off towards the new anthem policy, um, 
Goodell is trying to make the set in stone, already has. This is how it's going to be for this year. We'll see what happens, and it'll be interesting to see once we get closer to the season if teams and players and personnel will react to it a certain way, and we'll see how that all unfolds. Moving on, the New York Jets, uh, they're just dumb, honestly. (laughs) You draft a guy in the second round, Christian Hackenberg, and you trade him to the Raiders for a seventh-round pick. What value does that have? I mean, I think you're just trying to... It, it doesn't add any value. You're just trying to get rid of him and help the quarterback situation, but you're not getting any value out of it. The front office is corrupt. They have no clue what they're doing. Well, you know what? As a fan for me, the front office may not know what they're doing, but I'm not even a Jets fan. I'm a Giants fan. I'll right. say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as just a viewer, I appreciate Mike McCagnan addressing his mistake. Right. I appreciate that because, you know, for... For the past couple of years, it's like, because the Jets haven't been going anywhere, where's Hackenberg? He dressed for five games in his entire career with the Jets. Never started, never even played in one. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Are you going to use this guy anytime soon? It's either they never gave him a chance or it's just they, he was just that bad and did not look good. But he never got the chance that I think he deserved on the field yeah. with how awful a quarterback situation was for the Jets two, two years ago. Yeah. But a seven-round pick isn't going to help him. But at least you get some value. I mean, you look at a team like the Giants, right? And how those rumors of how they were shopping Eric Flowers. This yeah. guy has been so bad over the past four years. I'm you sure can't get were... anything for him. You couldn't even get a seventh-round pick. Well, well. with the way Gettleman has worked his magic in the past, um, obviously Flowers was just that disgusting to other teams that they couldn't, you know. And unfortunately, he's still in contention for the starting right tackle spot. Unfortunately. I mean... uh, let's talk about the Giants. Odell Beckham. Start to mature a little bit, and yeah. it just it, it gets me annoyed when look. Obviously, he's a rookie and he's a professional athlete. You should act maturely and appropriately. This is how the NFL is, and the way he acted his first few years was awful. Mm-hmm. And it was embarrassing to watch him as a Giants fan. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tom Coughlin didn't do anything about it. Ben McAdoo did zero about it. Ben McAdoo, I would in my Ben McAdoo was just it. awful. I, I, ben he McAdoo. Let you do Ben Matt when Ben, ben McAdoof. Yeah, when he was when he was coaching <laughs> Odell, when he was coaching Odell, there was absolutely no restrictions. Right, there, there was there nothing. Wasn't. I mean, that was when the whole helmet in the net occurred. He that gave was Odell when the, whole, when, when the Eagles game when he scored the touchdown and, and he insane. urinated. That that went to a whole other level. Part of the reason why the Giants have been bad the last couple of years, well, besides you know the eleven and five year, as we're seeing as OTAs begin, you know, and I and I enjoy this as a Giants fan. We're finally starting to see the emergence of hopefully maturity in Odell Beckham Jr. Because we know what this guy brings to the table. Right. Yeah. He's arguably one of the best, if not the best, receiver in the entire NFL. Mm-hmm. He's a once-in-a-generational type of talent. As a fan, I do not want to see him go. If, Obviously, you know it's going to be a lot of money for a contract. Right. we got to lock this guy up. We had a caller, I think it was sometime last year, and maybe even again a few months ago, that said the Giants should trade Odell Beckham. Yeah, because you know he's a nuisance on the field. He's a cancer in the locker room. But the guy's twenty five years old. He has time to mature. Yeah. Again, people are just different. There's some people that are going to come in right away and show the maturity aspect. Some are not. Yeah. It's just but, how people grow. Yeah. By seeing what Odell is doing at this moment, with showing up to the OTAs, yeah. with still his rookie contract and he still wants a contract, it just shows on how mature 
he is in order for himself to get to practice, to work with everybody, and show the team, listen, I'm under contract. This is my last contract here. I want a big contract. I'm here. I'm not sitting at my house, say, wherever, right. on the beach, just hanging out. He's practicing. He wants to show the team he's worth money and that he's hopefully matured or has matured enough to get that contract. And he hasn't been really making that much noise about it either. He's actually been showing up to these voluntary workouts as a guy like Eric Flowers is not, who's on, who's on his contract year now. This is last year on his rookie contract. I think I don't think Flowers is coming back next year unless he does a complete 360 this season. And I think Odell is more likely to earn his contract than yeah. Eric, Eric Flowers is. 100%. Without because, a doubt. Look, transitioning to the Giants' offensive line, it's looked a lot better. Yeah. And mm-hmm. nobody is guaranteed a starting spot right now, I think, except for maybe Nate Solder. Yeah. I think everything is up for grabs right now. I mean, yes. if I had an idea... I would probably say Solder at left, Hernandez at left guard, and then mm-hmm. you would start Jones at center, Omen at right guard, and then Flowers uh, at right tackle. That's probably what it's going to be, unfortunately. But, yep. um, it was tweeted by David Deal and Sean O'Hara, two former starting offensive linemen for the Giants that were part of their Super Bowl run. The Giants are doing the right thing with their offensive line. They addressed the need. They signed two free agents, and mm-hmm. they drafted a guy that had mid-first-round value, the top of the second round. Only reason why he dropped was because the need for skill position at wide receiver in that first round, the skill positions, that's why Hernandez dropped. Yep. He, Outside of McGlinchey and Nelson, he may be the next best offensive lineman in the class of 2018. I he, believe so. He could be that diamond in the rough that the Giants have picked up. And we'll help him. And you see what the Giants did? They didn't start him with the first team. They made him earn his starting spot, and he earned it. Yep. It started with John Greco, and then they brought Hernandez in. So nobody is guaranteed. Brett Jones isn't guaranteed. Yep. He had a phenomenal season replacing Weston Richburg. Mm-hmm. He was phenomenal. But John Jalapio has been making noise. Mm-hmm. The one game where the Giants, I think it was Week 17, Jalapio got a start. Orleans Darkwa and the Giants had, what, over 200 rushing yards? Yep, I guess Jalapio yes. was a big yep. part of that, and mm-hmm. so was John Greco. These are two veterans you can count on that were signed late in the season as backups for this upcoming season, which is why the end of last year was so important to get young guys in on that offensive line. Yeah, Greco is 28, Jalapio is only 26. These guys have time to emerge. Either of those guys can start, I think, which is why it puts pressure on guys like Will Hernandez, Brett Jones, and Flowers and Chad Wheeler. Look at that. Look, the Giants lost Adam Bisnawati, who was an awful draft pick by Jerry Reese, and he dropped to the sixth round for a reason. But Wheeler beat out Bisnawati last year for the backup right tackle position. Wheeler can beat out Flowers this season. Fortunately, I think if Flowers has his head screwed on right, he's going to get the job. Yep. But, look, you have... Justin Pugh and Weston Richburg, who were the two best offensive linemen last season mm-hmm. for the Giants. Yeah. But combined, they only started 12 games. They only started 12 games as a unit. And having them go wasn't the worst thing for no. this offensive line, unfortunately, yep. because they wouldn't have been able to sign Nate Solder and address other needs. Yep. They got Omene for a much cheaper price than Justin Pugh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they signed Nate Solder, who they geared their money towards. It's more important to gear your money towards Nate Solder, a guy who's proven himself. The second half of last season, he was the second-best left tackle in the game. Yeah. 
And then you have a guy like Flowers who quiet, quietly had his best season last season with how bad he's been. Yeah, he was one of the bright spots, especially yeah. for a Giants team that went 3-13. Yeah. Three and 3-13. So, absolutely. And you know what? It's good that they have these guys like John Greco and Jalapio because you know what? It adds depth. It does. And you know, we forget about guys like John Jerry. We automatically assume that Ome is going to get the right guard job, which I hope he does. Yeah. But John, John Jerry is also... A solid right guard. Unfortunately, he started 56 games for us the last four seasons. Yeah. At least have some health consistency. Look, I'm looking forward to the starting offensive line. Actually, let's pick it right now. I'm going Solder, Hernandez, Jones, Omene, and I'm going to be the guy that says Chad Wheeler. I'm going to – only thing with that, I'm just going to say that Flowers is going to – I'm going to say Flowers is going to go with that just because of the fact that he has the – the more experience. Experience. Yep. Look, ideally, that's the right pick. I just don't like Flowers. I'm like, Not do I, but what are you going to do? Flowers can sit on the bench giving everybody flowers. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I made that joke wow. so many times with my sister at home that we were like, oh, Flowers missed another tackle. Why not right. he gives out some flat? You know? Yeah, he's missed so many blocks. Because yep. it's just you have to keep saying why watching him. Right. No, you know? Definitely. Yep. Absolutely. Um yeah, no, I think those are all good points. We touched upon the Giants, the Jets. Uh, last thing for the final minute of our show, then we're going to sign off. Vegas, Caps, Stanley Cup final. Caps beat the Lightning in game four. Uh, we don't talk much NHL in the show, but Vegas, their first season, very impressive run. And yes. let's see what they can do in the Stanley Cup. Yep. Let's see. Against the Capitals team that kind of flew under the radar this year. You know, he thought they'd make the playoffs, but not the Stanley Cup final, so... I'm very excited for the Stanley Cup final as well. It should be interesting. Yep, it should be. A definitely a great matchup. You know, you have a legend in Alexander Ovechkin, and you yep. have a expansion team in the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, right. it should be very competitive. And with this having this expansion, it's going to help the rest of the league. Yep. On that note, guys, thank you, mu- thank you very much for listening to our show tonight. And our podcast will be up. You can type in review and preview on your phone, download our podcast, listen to it, subscribe. Thank you very much for tuning in. On behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm Tom Scavetta. You've been listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Good night. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.